I am going to be speaking on the subject of seven great reasons to pray. I'm doing that because I want to invite you all to our corporate prayer meeting this Wednesday evening from 7.30 until 8.30. Uh, here at the church. I believe that we're going to see some uh, mighty miracles. You know, one of the things that uh, uh, Pastor Steve said uh, when uh, he was here earlier in the year was that he was encouraging us as a, as a church to pray. He was encouraging us to ch- as a church to gather together, to make declaration, to, to, to declare things into the heavenly realms. And, and we're going to be starting to do that as a, ch- a corporate church uh, body uh, this, uh, this Wednesday evening. So I just really want to encourage you to come out. We're going to be praying for our community. We're going to be praying for the federal election. We're going to be praying for, for families. We're going to be praying for what God wants to do and establish within our, in our community and, and, and looking out into uh, to families and, and homes around about everywhere. So we're going to be praying for people to be saved. Praying for people to find freedom from, uh, from lifelong things that have, have held them bound and held them captive. We're going to be praying for people to find restoration. In other words, to actually discover the, the purpose for which they were created and God uh, birthed them in the, in the world. We're going to be praying for people to find fulfillment where we do things that matter with people that matter for, for, uh, for people that matter. You know, we just need to be doing those things. That's what we're going to be praying for uh, in this uh, coming time. You know, as a church, we are making a commitment to actually be a people who pray and not because we have to but because we get to and God doesn't want to force us to do anything he wants us to to enjoy that experience of coming into his presence so we're going to make a commitment to being a people to pray who seek an encounter with God through the simple act of talking to him and him talking to us that's all prayer is it's just a, ma- a matter of coming into his presence, speaking to him, making declaration, talking about him, praising him. You know, there's so much that goes into praise and, and prayer and stuff. You know, it's just amazing what we can see happen. In Mark eleven seventeen, Jesus himself said, the, the scriptures declare my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations. You know, we've got to start to look at the, the, the possibilities of what we could actually help people in our world accomplish through the simple uh, act of praying for them. We can simply, you know, look through a window and see that we can do some things. I believe the Holy Spirit is calling us as a people to pray. And who pray? In Philippians 4, 6, it says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need and and thank him for all that he has done. So why should we pray? It's a good question, really, isn't it? Well, why did Jesus pray? If we are Christians... I think that one of the things that we need to be remembering is that we're modeling our lives. We're being changed into the, from glory to glory, being shaped into the, the image of Jesus. Then why did Jesus pray? If we were to look at him, maybe we could answer the question why we should pray. After all, he got more answers than anyone else did. And he always prayed for the right reasons. Sometimes I don't. <laughs> I might be the only one here that might do that. But I would suggest maybe not. So here's seven great reasons to inspire us to pray. You ready for this this morning? The number one reason I believe that we uh, are able to pray is that it actually helps us to build a deeper relationship with God. A deeper relationship with God. That's the blank that you're missing in your notes. The word deeper. We are called to prayer because it's a key to building our love relationship with Jesus. Being a Christian is not primarily about rules. 
and regulations, it's about a relationship. Now, I, I don't want you to get me wrong this morning because there are commands and promises in, the, in God's Word, but we don't become Christians by receiving standards. We become Christians by receiving Christ. And there's an important difference in that. And we need to understand that. So we get to build our love-grace relationship with Jesus because at times I struggle to understand it. Sometimes I just don't understand God's love. And that's those times where we need to come to him and say, God, I, I just, I don't get it. Can you help me to understand this? Can you help to unfold this for me so that I start to understand your love and your grace, your forgiveness, your righteousness, your holiness that you've made available to us? And as we do that, as we come together, we start to understand more and more about who God is and what he can do. See, prayer allows him to embrace us. It, prayer allows him to care for us, to point out our needs and how he fills our needs, to listen to him. And sometimes, you know what, sometimes it's about desperately needing to talk to him too. That's what prayer is. In Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 19, it says, When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, that from his glorious unlimited resources, he'll empower you with inner strength through his Spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him, that you have the power to understand how wide, long, high, and deep his love is. May you know. Everyone say no. Everyone may know. The love of Christ though it's too great to fully understand. See, Paul's saying that prayer helps us to experience a deep, close, personal and intimate love of Christ. It's so deep, Paul says, that it actually surpasses our knowledge. Imagine, God wants us to know something that is too deep to ever be known. Have you ever thought about that? Just sat down and thought about that what that means, the implications for us. See, prayer is a place of encountering the Lord, to encounter His love, to be soaked in it, to learn to give it back and to share His love with other people around about. Husbands and wives sharing the love of Christ. Children and parents sharing the love of Christ. Talking about it, embracing it, releasing it. Teachers and students, employees and employers sharing the love of Christ. Wow. How different would our communities be if we did that? How changed would society be if we learned to do that more and more? Prayer is one place that God can get to us. And we think it's all about us getting to Him. It's about God getting to us. He can speak to us and minister to us. It's the number one reason we have prayer that we can pray is so that we can build a deeper relationship with God. Number two, number two. Prayer helps us reinforce Jesus' defeat of sin and temptation. Can you see a theme here? The, number, the, the next word you need is to write in your notes is defeat. So we've got deeper, now defeat. Have a guess what the next five are going to start with. <laughs> M, yeah. <laughs> so prayer helps reinforce Jesus' defeat of sin and temptation. See, prayer is a powerful weapon in overcoming sin and temptation. Luke 22 verse 40, Jesus told them, pray that you will not give in to temptation. 
See, what did he mean by that? What he's saying here is that the antidote to yielding to the temptations of fear, discouragement, and actually going through the horror that what they soon see and experience was fervent, heartfelt prayer. Prayer would strengthen their shaky faith and their, their, their wavering courage. How did Jesus know this? Because he too faced his own darkness. In the next few hours, it was the eternity of death and hell for the combined sins of humanity. He came to the point of his purpose on earth and the agony of what lay ahead. Far greater than the disciples' temptation was the temptation that Jesus faced and how infinitely more far-reaching its consequences were likely to be. Jesus did what he told his disciples to do. He prayed. He prayed that he'd overcome what he wanted. The temptation to live for himself and do his own thing. That his own will would be done. He prayed about that very issue. And we're told by Luke that his prayers were so heartfelt, that his struggle was so intense, that his sweat became like drops of blood. In victory, at the end of that hour, he would rise from prayer, having settled the issue with his father, not my will be done, but yours be done. See, prayer was the means through which he obtained that victory. And it's the same thing for us. Jesus has done this incredible victory for us over sin and temptation. And prayer simply reinforces Jesus' victory in overcoming power over those things in our life. It doesn't do it for us. Prayer doesn't win that for us. It helps us to reinforce. Lord, I thank you that you're a person who was tempted in every way as like unto man, but you did not sin. Lord, I attach myself to that as well. Lord, I'm not going to give in to this. I'm not going to give in to this temptation. I'm not going to go where I, my flesh and my, my things are, are like calling out for me to do. I'm not going to do that anymore. Lord, I, I, I attach myself to what you've already accomplished in my world. Prayer helps us to reinforce the defeat that Jesus won over sin and temptation. When we face temptation, here's, here's three things we can do. Pray, pray, pray. How's that going? That's good. You like that? It's easy, isn't it? Is it? See, that's what will see us through. That's what Jesus shows us to do. What if we saw prayer as our first option, not our last option? Gathering The gathering of our courage and the strength prior to our temptations. Perhaps, perhaps if we prayed more, we would yield less. It's very hard to sin and pray at the same time. You okay this morning? You, you cool? See, prayer reinforces Christ's victory over sin and temptation. Third reason. Prayer helps us to determine God's will. Prayer helps us to determine God's will. So how does prayer help us to determine God's will? Well, I'm glad you asked because Jesus shows us. In Luke chapter 6, verses 12 to 13, it says, One day soon afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain to pray, and he prayed to God all night. At daybreak, he called together all of his disciples and chose 12 of them to be his apostles. 
See, Jesus prayed all night about what seemed to be an insignificant issue in history. The choosing from a crowd that followed him of people that we actually call apostles today. You've got, you got to sort of like wonder, who cares what group of men an obscure rabbi in an obscure province of an obscure corner of the Roman Empire chose for leadership. But those prayers and the influence of those 12 men, 2,000 years later, we find that 1.3 billion people worldwide call themselves by this obscure rabbi's name, Christians. That's how important it can be. See, Jesus needed to know which of his many followers was chosen by his father to be apostles. So how did prayer help? Well, John Wesley said this, and I love what this says. He says, I find that the chief purpose of prayer in seeking God's will is that prayer gets my will into an unbiased state. Once my will is unprejudiced about the matter, I find God suggests reasons to my mind why I should or should not pursue a certain course of action. So Wesley's saying, I just need to get that that place where my my will is now unbiased. I'm I'm not sort of like, can I I be honest with you? The the chief purpose of prayer then is to make sure that our wills are, are unbiased. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I pray about stuff, I've already got a leaning about what I want God to do. I'm already leaning one way, and I'm just looking really for confirmation about what he wants to do. (laughs) I think it's great. So prayer asks God first to help our wills move back to the center. That is, we're willing to do whatever his will is. And once we arrive there, it may take some time, but he shows us why one alternative is better than another, and therefore it's his will for us to do. See, this actually helps us to determine what God's will is. Prayer helps us to do that, to figure it out. See, it might have been like this for Jesus. As he's praying... He must have had preferences about who his followers were going to be. He may have had a list, okay? Perhaps Peter was on it, but Andrew wasn't. I don't know about you, but Judas wouldn't make my list, okay? He probably wouldn't make yours, but we know that because of, you know, benefit of hindsight is fantastic. Jesus had, had hindsight. God the Father had perfect foresight. Judas still made the list. Yet through the word of his father and Jesus' own yielded, unbiased heart in prayer, the reasons became clear to him why he would choose three of those men and plus the other nine that went with it. See, determining God's will can be the same for us. We simply pray so that our wills, not our emotions, can be yielded to the divine whatever, Lord. I'm willing to do whatever. See, that's how prayer helps us. It's a great reason why we need to be praying. It's a great reason to determine God's will for our lives. Number four, prayer does God's work. 
prayer does God's work. It's a, it's a major, major motivation in praying. It comes from the very uh, fact of one of Jesus' most amazing statements that we could find. I, I shared a little bit about this last week, where in John chapter 14, verses 12 to 14, out of the Passion Translation, it says, I tell you this timeless truth. The person who follows me in faith, believing in me, will do the same mighty miracles that I do, and even greater miracles than these. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever sat down and just meditated on that passage of Scripture? Have you ever said it out loud? Can I ask us a question this morning? What if that's true? That we would do the very same things that Jesus did, but even greater. What if that's true? The person who follows me in faith, Jesus said. Believing in me. Jesus did not say that they shall do. You know, like when you get together, it's, you, know, everyone to, you have to have a minimum of this number of people to do this. He didn't say that when the church comes to be, together, that that's what's going to happen. He, he, Jesus uses what they call a singular pronoun, meaning that the person who follows him in faith, believing in him, will do the same mighty miracles he did and even greater. The person who follows him in faith, Believing in him. Are there any followers of Jesus in faith this morning? Are there any people that that believe in Jesus? Then we've got to start to believe for these things to happen in our world. We've got to start to believe more and more that God wants to reach this community more than we do. And he's just looking for people who are saying, God, the divine whatever Whatever your will, I'm determining your will. I know that it's your will that you came to save, seek and save the lost and to set them free. We read in Luke chapter 4, his whole job description. to set, you know, God has, has anointed me with the Holy Spirit and with power and, and I'm going to set people free. Let the lame walk and, and release the captives and so on. To, 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 to proclaim, proclaim, proclaim the favorable year of God's presence or something like that. Know what I mean? Think about what Jesus did on the earth. He cleansed the lepers. He healed the sick. He proclaimed release to the captives. He taught thousands. He fed thousands. He raised the dead. He confronted injustice and he loved the unlovely. And we think, well, for this to become a reality, we need to be a Billy Graham. We need to be a a Bill Johnson or a Mother Teresa. Uh, or some other hero of the faith. It's only those that could do those sorts of things. But not me, not Gary, not just an ordinary Christian. Can I tell you something? There's no such thing as an ordinary Christian. Turn to the person next to you and tell them, you are no ordinary Christian. Turn to the person on the other side and say, seriously, you're not ordinary See, Jesus' statement says that the only qualifier to doing such works is this, that the one who follows him in faith, who believes in him, will do these things. Why? Because God's just looking for a vessel to work through. Because he says in the next verses, he says, For I will do whatever you ask me to do when you ask me in my name. 
That is how the Son will show what the Father is really like and bring glory to him. And just, you know, so you, you understand that the disciples are just like us. I mean this because I love you, but sometimes we can be a bit thick, okay? Not as thin as some, okay? We're, we're a bit thick, you know, like, that's how, so Jesus has to repeat himself. The, the very next verse, he says, ask me anything in my name and I'll do it for you. He said it twice for the disciples. I'm saying it twice for us. Ask anything in Jesus' name and I'll do it for you. We need to shout that from the housetops. We need to, to understand that prayer is the way his greater works get done. All of us can pray and reach the lost. All of us can participate in Christ's healing power, spreading both medically and miraculously across the earth. Luke 24 verse 49 says that we can pray for the anointing of the Holy Spirit to pray for his empowering presence from on high and release heaven here on earth. I shared with our VIP huddle team this morning out of Acts chapter 10 verse 38 where it says that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power so that he could go out doing good and heal all those who were oppressed by the devil. God wants to do that very same thing through us because those things are what Jesus did. He, he was anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went around doing good and he healed all who were oppressed by the devil. And God says, Jesus says to us, you know, if you're following me in faith, if you believe in me, then those same things that you can do and even greater. We need to believe that God has got an anointing for us, an anointing of the Holy Spirit that's going to touch our lives with power, that we can go around doing good and we can set people free who are held bound by the enemy surely someone can shout hallelujah bless Jesus better than that that's what God is wanting us to do that's the the anointing upon our lives God we need to cry out for this whenever we're going out somewhere wherever we're doing something whenever someone's mind you know comes to our mind we think about someone we need to be praying God fill me with your Holy Spirit let your power rest in in me right now let me reach out through prayer let me reach out through the phone let me reach out through social media touch their lives and set them free I want to do good because you've anointed my life to be able to do something I believe what your word says that I can do the same things that you did and even greater and we need to fire ourselves up and start to fan into flame the gift of the Holy Spirit within us. We need to be people of the Spirit once more. Where, where sometimes we, 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 we have stuff happen in our world. We have stuff happen uh, that's not good. It's not nice. I grant you that. But don't let it hold you back. Let God loose out of you. Let God release His anointing power through you. Start to lay hands on the sick and start to see them recover. We need to know that God's anointing is upon us. It's not a fake anointing, one John says. We need to know that that's what it is. It's a real anointing. It's a real smearing, a smothering, a smothering of what God's holy anointing oil is all over us. The presence of, of God himself. And we go out in his name. It's no longer I that lives, but Christ who lives in me. I'll start preaching very shortly. Come on. We've got to start to stir ourselves up. But so, you know, we, we, we think that we, we can't say it's a politically correct world. I can't speak about Jesus in my workplace. I can't talk about God in my school or my university anymore. Bunk them. What a load of rot. What a load of rot. 
All we need is a fire of the Holy Ghost. I prayed this yesterday. Like I, I put something up on, on, on Facebook. I said, there's a fire in my body. We need to believe for the fire of God again. We need to believe for the wind of the Spirit. We need to believe for the reign of God once more. We need to believe for these things that we've seen happen in, in times past where God's broken out in revival. I'm getting ahead of myself now, but God's saying something to us. We need to believe for those times once more. Where people get touched by the very presence of God. It's not flaky humanism. It's, it's God touching people's lives. And seeing instantly addictions broken in, in the name of Jesus. Seeing marriages miraculously restored in the name of Jesus. To see long-term illnesses totally healed in the name of Jesus. Where we see people who've struggled and struggled and struggled and struggled. Set free by the power of the name of Jesus. Which leads me into point, point five. Prayer is a powerful weapon of divine power in spiritual warfare. Prayer is a weapon of divine power. Everyone say, divine power. Say it like you mean it. Divine power. Say it like it needs to be deserved to be said. It's divine power. Divine power in spiritual warfare. In Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 20, it talks about the armor of God. It outlines what the arsenal of God is. We're reminded that ultimately our struggle is against flesh and blood. We don't fight people. We're supposed to fight for people. It's a different message. We're fighting against spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. Life as a Christian isn't a playground. It's a battlefield. Sometimes you're in an outright battle for your very life. Your children need you to intercede on their behalf. Children, you need to be praying for your parents. That they lead you in a godly way. They show you the, the, the ways and the values that are going to actually to, to see your, your life flourish. We're told by Paul, a soldier in this combat, to be clothed and armed for our struggle. And like a, a Roman legionnaire, he says, we're, we're to put on the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, feet shod with the preparation of the gospel, shield of faith, word, uh, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And then we're set. We've got everything we need. But Paul doesn't end it there. Because in verses 18 to 20, he unleashes, he unleashes the heavy artillery in the arsenal of the, of the Christian. Persistent prayer. Persistent prayer. In these, the, these three verses, Paul says the word prayer five times. Perhaps Paul and God's trying to say something. Just perhaps God's trying to get something through to us. Paul and God are making a point. He's seizing our attention concerning prayer's power to defeat Satan. He's given us divine power to defeat Satan. To see this spiritual warfare. One. I love what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verses 3 to 4. <clears throat> For though we live in the world, we don't wage war as the world does. See, the world wages war. When we, we have a problem with a person, we take it out on the person. But there's a spirit at work. We're, we're fighting a battle against spiritual forces. We need to get upset at the spirit behind that and start to pray for the blessing on the person. It might change the way you see conflict with your, your spouse. I'm not saying your spouse is possessed. But there's a spirit behind stuff that's trying to break your marriage up. And you need to stand against the, the spirit that's trying to break your marriage up. In the name of Jesus, we stand together as a, as a united front. 
Jane and I, we, we fight for our marriage. 35 years just gone in May. We've been married. Has it been smooth sailing? I've got to tell you, actually it has. We've had our differences and stuff, but we love each other like, you know, just another message. <clears throat> he says, for though we live in the world, we don't wage war as the world does. The weapons we... Oh, I love this core. Get this in your spirit. As I'm, I'm, just listen to this. He says, for the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. Oh... On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. They are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. God has given us through the vehicle of prayer, divine power in spiritual warfare. The weapons of our warfare are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. We need to believe what God's word. We need to use the the word of God like a sword. We need to start to slay the enemy, slash backwards and forwards. We need to know that the word of God is alive. It's active. It's doing stuff in the world. We need to release the word of God in prayer. We need to declare the word of God in prayer. Prayer softens up Satan's fortresses and the gates of hell cannot prevail. Too often the gospel moves slowly because the softening up process of prayer has been neglected. When practiced, however, prayer releases God into a situation. And we need to understand that if we want to release God into our situation, pray! Pray! Spirit of God, come on. Holy Ghost, speak to me. I want you to touch my life, Holy Ghost. I want your anointing to come and and to touch people's lives. Number six, prayer is the driving force behind revival. Prayer is the driving force behind revival. It's a prerequisite to a sweeping spiritual awakening. Have a listen to this. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verses 13 to 14. It's a commonly referred to passage of Scripture. Most of you will probably know this. He says, At times I might shut up the heavens so no rain falls, or command grasshoppers to devour your crops, or send plagues among you. In verse 14 he says this, Then, if my people who are called by my name... Does that include anyone here? I think it might. Then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. And pray. And seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. I'll hear from heaven and forgive their sins and restore their land. This could summarize God's teaching about spiritual awakenings and revivals. The times when God enters time and space in such obvious ways that masses of believers become steadfast and committed and multitudes of unbelievers get saved. This is a formula, or not a formula, but it's, a, it's, it's an understanding of how God sometimes needs to work through us. There needs to be a humbling of ourselves. We need to be praying. We need to be seeking the face of God. We need to turn from what our way is, what, what we're wanting, the, the, uh, my will be done, my, it's, it's His will be done. We need to be doing that and then start to know that God's going to respond to that. 
Such manifestations have occurred numerous times in biblical and post-biblical times. Every time they occur, one clear forerunner has existed. Somewhere, somehow, there's always been a group or groups of people who've given themselves to fervent, consistent, persistent prayer for the very purpose of cleansing from sin, the reviving of the body of believers, and the salvation of the lost. They've always been the driving force behind awakening, spiritual awakenings, awakenings and revivals. The coming revival spoken of by the prophet Joel, where God will pour out his spirit on all flesh, has prayer at the vital turning point to seeing it being released. In Joel chapter 2 verse 17 it says, Let the priests, now I want to tell you right here, that in the New Testament we are priests. You and I are priests. The New Testament tells us that. We're a royal priesthood. A holy nation. So God is talking to us in this. He says, let the priests who minister in the Lord's presence stand and weep between the entry room to the temple and the altar. Let them pray. Let them pray. Let those priests pray. J. Edwin Orr said this, every revival in history could be traced to find at its source a group of people gathered for prayer. Something about such group prayer breeds honesty, openness and humility. Usually this group is the first to be struck by God's awesome yet gracious presence. I want to bring back a fear of God to the church. I I want God to work in me such a fear of God. Not where I'm absolutely in abject fear of him, but a holy respect and awe of who God is. I want the days again where I don't want to miss church because I don't want to miss what God wants to do. Another sermon. I'm going to push some buttons. Getting to church on time. Another sermon. See, revival spreads through and beyond those groups to the reaches of the church, the community, and our country. Prayer. Persistent prayer. Persistence in prayer is the driving force. We need to to lay the foundations through which God can manifest His presence in powerful ways so that we encounter God. As we pray, we experience change which revives us. I need my life changed. I need mindsets brought down. I need ways of thinking that limit what God wants to do. I need those brought into the subjection and the the lordship of Jesus. And then we become the seeds of revival that sees change come to those people around about us. Revival will gain momentum quickly. And all of this is the fruit of prayer. What a wonderful reason to pray. To see an awakened church, our cities and our country swept with the wildfire of revival. Someone once asked me only this, this week, what's a good way that you could illustrate to an unbeliever, someone who doesn't know Christ, what revival looks like? And I just had this thought come into my heart immediately. I said, I think it would be like a wildfire. We could explain to them how just one simple spark, when fanned 
by the wind of God can sweep over a complete area and region and totally transform it. That's what a wildfire looks like. That's what revival looks like. It's an Australian context. We understand. Even now, Lord God, would you touch those people in Southern California that are going through those bushfires? Father, touch them. Release your anointing over them. In Orlando, release your, your revival fires over there, Lord God. The people that are grieving, the people that are hurting, Lord God. Touch those people with your presence, with your comfort, with your spirit. Father, there are people in our church that are, that are hurting this morning. Touch them with the, the power of your spirit, Lord God. Release your anointing upon their lives. May we be driven to our knees in prayer for such a reality of his presence. Amen? Number seven, prayer is dear to God. In other words, it's valuable to him. This is probably one of the most compelling reasons, I think, because it's actually not linked to any earthly result. Prayer is dear to God. Prayer itself is in, inherently invaluable to God. In other words, whether we see any answers, and we will, and whether we ever derive any personal benefit, and we will, God views prayer with great value. Why do I say that? Well, in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, this is talking about Jesus. The writer of Hebrews says this. He says, He is able once and forever to save those who come to God through Him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. This is amazing. Here the writer tells us that the occupation and passion of Jesus since His ascension is that He lives forever to intercede with God for us. Think of it. Someone is always praying for you. And his name is Jesus. Jesus is right now praying for you. He's interceding in the Father, to the Father right now for you. You think no one else knows about your situation? Jesus does. And he's praying for you right now. Right now, Jesus is praying to the Father about your very situation, your lack of finance, your lack of healing, your lack of a, a breakthrough in your relationships, whatever it is, your lack of a job, your lack of promotion, not having enough, not getting what you, you know, the things that you, you think that God is wanting to bring. Jesus knows all about that, and right now, He's praying to the Father. S.D. Gordon says this of the life of Jesus He says, 30 years of living. 30 years of serving, one tremendous act of dying, and now 2,000 years of prayer. It's sort of like there's a bit of an emphasis on prayer. God obviously values prayer in a way that we usually don't. In Revelation chapter 5, we're given a rare view of heaven's throne room. In Revelation 5, 8 says this, When he took the scroll, the four living beings and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp and they had gold bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of God's people. In heaven, incense is made up of prayer. What's incense used for? It's a fragrance, the beauty of perfume. I had a lady say this morning how nicely I smelled. I, I thought it was a lovely comment. My aftershave's called eternity. <laughs> True story. 
we, what's that got to do with the message? I've got no idea. But I thought it was just nice to say. I really appreciated that comment. Thank you very much. They're laughing at me. Consider that there were other choices that could have been what God valued. The fragrance of service. The fragrance of Bible study. The fragrance of witnessing or hard work or tithing or church attendance. Any number of other Christian great activities. But God in his wisdom chose prayer. Perhaps he chose it because in virtually all other disciplines, there's so many differences amongst us in gifting, in strengths, energy, and so on. But in prayer, we all, regardless of our differences, have equal access to him, and equal love from him, and equal grace that's available, and an equal power from him. At our disposal. Just perhaps. All of which makes us ask. If God values prayer that much. How much do we. Or should we value it. See this morning I believe that God. Wants to take us deeper. In relationship with him through prayer. I believe he wants To help us reinforce the victory over sin and death through prayer. Just as the team come back. Through prayer, he wants to reveal his will for our lives. Through prayer, he wants to empower us for his kingdom's work. Through prayer, he wants us to unleash his divine power on the enemy. It's his desire to again release a spiritual awakening. A revival that's birthed in prayer. So I'm going to ask you again. I'm going to put the invitation out to you. Would you join us this Wednesday night for prayer? Would you come out for an hour? 7.30 to 8.30. And let's believe that God is going to do something incredible on Wednesday night. Let's start to look at the way that we view prayer. You don't have to pray. But there's seven reasons. At least. That's just seven. You could think of so many more. You are so much smarter than I am. You could think of so many more. Even as I've been speaking about this. Other ways. Other reasons why we we should pray. Have come to your mind. Allow God to speak to you through that. Allow his spirit to whisper in your heart. What he's speaking to you right now. About prayer and the value. You don't have to pray. I love it that we get to. Let's stand this morning. I want to pray for some things this morning. Number one, I want to pray for people to get saved. I don't know everybody here. I don't know where you've come from. I don't know where you are in the journey of life. But it would be remiss of me not to be able to give you an opportunity to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. To be revived in your very heart. This morning, I believe that God has spoken to people's hearts. I believe that God has has reshaped the way that we see things and understand things. And this morning, I would uh, encourage you that if you're feeling in your heart that there's something going on in your spirit this morning,
Maybe you've never understood what it is. You've never invited Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of your life. You've never prayed a prayer, said, God, I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I ask you, Lord God, to, to come into my heart. I believe that you are the Lord God Almighty. I'm sorry for living my way. I want to live your way. I want to pray for you. Is there anyone here this morning? You've never invited Jesus to be the Lord of your life, but this morning you want to. I want you to put your hand up because I want to pray for you this morning. Is there anyone? I want you to put your hand up so that I can see it. It's the greatest move you'll ever make. The greatest thing you'll ever do in your life is to give your heart to Jesus. Is there anyone this morning? Okay. I want to pray for people this morning that you can be really brutally honest with yourself and with God this morning, but you could say, I've lost hope in the power of prayer. I've prayed for stuff and nothing has changed. In fact, when I pray, it's almost like my prayers hit the ceiling of my room where I am and they bounce back to me and I feel like God just doesn't hear. And you've lost hope to pray. You, you're in a position where you're a place where you feel that, that God, your prayers are just nothing. They mean nothing. And you've lost hope in the power of prayer. Is there anyone here? This, I want you, this is an open declaration. I'll just Please don't look around. Just have a, an attitude of prayer. If, the, if, you have, if you're feeling like that, I want to pray for you this morning. Would you put your hand up? I want to pray for you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Heavenly Father, this week, as these people feel the challenge of your spirit, the drawing of your spirit, the love whisper in their ear, Would you release the answers that they're asking for in Jesus' name? Would you create an avenue of communication with these wonderful people? Restore their hope once more in the power of prayer. Renew a passion for prayer. Not because they're going to get anything out of it, but because it draws them closer to you. Because it deepens their relationship with you. Father, in the name of Jesus, no longer are those prayers to rebound, but they are to absolutely blaze a path to glory. Right now, in Jesus' name, I release the renewed hope of prayer in their world. I also want to pray for a release of the miraculous in and through your life this morning. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray it. I'm going to pray it over us all. I believe God wants to.